0: chapter three of the moonstone by wilkie collins this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony addison chapter two i spoke of my lady a line or two back now the diamond could never have been in our house where it was lost if it had not been made a present of to my lady's daughter and my lady's daughter would never have been in existence to have the present, if it had not been for my lady, who, with pain and travail, produced her into the world. Consequently, if we begin with my lady, we are pretty sure of beginning far enough back, and that, let me tell you, when you have got such a job as mine in hand, is a real comfort at starting. If you know anything of the fashionable world you have heard tell of the three beautiful Miss Herncastles, Miss Adelaide, Miss Caroline, and Miss Juliet, this last being the youngest and the best of the three sisters, in my opinion, and I had opportunities of judging as you shall presently see. I went into the service of the old lord, their father. Thank God we have got nothing to do with him in this business of the diamond." He had the longest tongue and the shortest temper of any man, high or low, I ever met with. I say, I went into the service of the old lord as page-boy-in-waiting on the three honourable young ladies at the age of fifteen years. There I lived till Miss Julia married the late Sir John Verinder, an excellent man who only wanted somebody to manage him and between ourselves, he found somebody to do it, and, what is more, he throve on it, and grew fat on it, and lived happy and died easy on it, dating from the day when my lady took him to church to be married, to the day when she relieved him of his last breath, and closed his eyes for ever. I have omitted to state, "'that I went with the bride to the bride's husband's house and lands down here. "'Sir John,' she says, "'I can't do without Gabriel Betteredge.' "'My lady,' says Sir John, "'I can't do without him either. "'That was his way with her, and that was how I went into his service. "'It was all one to me where I went, so long as my mistress and I were together.' Seeing that my lady took an interest in the out-of-door work and the farms and such like, I took an interest in them too, with all the more reason that I was a small farmer's seventh son myself. My lady got me put under the bailiff, and I did my best and gave satisfaction, and got promotion accordingly. Some years later, on the Monday as it might be, my lady says sir john your bailiff is a stupid old man pension him liberally and let gabriel betteredge have his place on the tuesday as it might be sir john says my lady the bailiff is pensioned liberally and gabriel betteredge has got his place you hear more than enough of married people living together miserably. Here is an example to the contrary. Let it be a warning to some of you, and an encouragement to others. In the meantime, I will go on with my story. Well, uh, there I was in clover, you will say, placed in a position of trust and honour, with a little cottage of my own to live in with my rounds on the estate to occupy me in the morning, and my accounts in the afternoon, and my pipe and my Robinson Crusoe in the evening, what more could I possibly want to make me happy? Remember what Adam wanted when he was alone in the Garden of Eden, and if you don't blame it in Adam, don't blame it in me. The woman I fixed my eye on was the woman who kept house for me at my cottage. Her name was Selina Goby. I agree with the late William Cobbett about picking a wife. See that she chews her food well and sets her foot down firmly on the ground when she walks and you're all right. Selina Goby was all right in both these respects, which was one reason for marrying her. I had another reason, likewise, entirely of my own discovering. Selina, being a single woman, made me pay so much a week for her board and services. Selina, being my wife, couldn't charge for her board, and would have to give me her services for nothing. That was the point of view I looked at it from. Economy. With a dash of love. "'I put it to my mistress, as in duty bound, just as I had put it to myself. "'I have been turning Selina Goby over in my mind,' I said, "'and I think, my lady, it will be cheaper to marry her than to keep her.' "'My lady burst out laughing, and said she didn't know which to be most shocked at, "'my language or my principles. Some joke tickled her, I suppose.' of the sort that you can't take unless you are a person of quality. Understanding nothing myself, but that I was free to put it next to Selina, I went and put it accordingly. And what did Selina say? Oh, Lord! How little you must know of women, if you ask that. Of course she said yes. As my time drew nearer, and there got to be talk of my having a new coat for the ceremony, and my mind began to misgive me. I have compared notes with other men as to what they felt while they were in my interesting situation, and they have all acknowledged that about a week before it happened, they privately wished themselves out of it. I went a trifle further than that myself. I actually rose up, as it were, and tried to get out of it, "'Not for nothing. I was too just a man to expect she would let me off for nothing. "'Compensation to the woman, when the man gets out of it, is one of the laws of England. "'In obedience to the laws, and after turning it over carefully in my mind, "'I offered Selina Goby a feather bed and fifty shillings to be off the bargain. "'You will hardly believe it, but it is nevertheless true.' She was fool enough to refuse me. After that, it was all over with me, of course. I got the new coat as cheap as I could, and I went through all the rest of it as cheap as I could. We were not a happy couple, and not a miserable couple. We were six of one, and half a dozen of the other. How it was, I don't understand, but we always seemed to be getting with the best of motives in one another's way. When I wanted to go upstairs, there was my wife coming down, or when my wife wanted to go down, there was I coming up. That is married life, according to my experience of it. After five years of misunderstandings on the stairs, it pleased an all-wise providence to relieve us of each other by taking my wife. I was left with my little girl Penelope, and with no other child. Shortly afterwards Sir John died, and my lady was left with her little girl, Miss Rachel, and no other child. I have written to very poor purpose of my lady, if you require to be told, that my little Penelope was taken care of under my good mistress' own eye, and was sent to school, and taught, and made a sharp girl, and promoted, when old enough, to be Miss Rachel's own maid. As for me, I went on with my business as bailiff year after year, up to Christmas 1847, when there came a change in my life. On that day, my lady invited herself to a cup of tea alone with me in my cottage. She remarked that, reckoning from the year when I started as page-boy in the time of the old lord, I had been more than fifty years in her service, and she put into my hands a beautiful waistcoat of wool that she had worked herself to keep me warm in the bitter winter weather. I received this magnificent present, quite at a loss to find words to thank my mistress with, for the honour she had done me. To my great astonishment it turned out, however, that the waistcoat was not an honour, but a bribe. My lady, had discovered that I was getting old before I had discovered it myself, and she had come to my cottage to wheedle me, if I may use such an expression, into giving up my hard out-of-door work as bailiff, and taking my ease for the rest of my days as steward in the house. I made as good a fight of it against the indignity of taking my ease as I could, but my mistress knew the weak side of me. She put it as a favour to herself, the dispute between us ended after that, in my wiping my eyes like an old fool with my new woolen waistcoat, and saying I would think about it. The perturbation in my mind in regard to thinking about it, being truly dreadful after my lady had gone away, I applied the remedy which I have never yet found to fail me in case of doubt and emergency. I smoked a pipe and took a turn at Robinson Crusoe. Before I had occupied myself with that extraordinary book five minutes, I came on a comforting bit. Page 158 As follows. Today we love what tomorrow we hate. I saw my way clear directly. Today I was all for continuing to be farm bailiff. Tomorrow, on the authority of Robinson Crusoe, I should be all the other way, take myself to-morrow, while in to-morrow's humour, and the thing was done. My mind being relieved in this manner, I went to sleep that night in the character of Lady Verinder's farm bailiff, and I woke up the next morning in the character of Lady Verinder's house-steward, all quite comfortable, and all through Robinson Crusoe. My daughter Penelope has just looked over my shoulder to see what I have done so far. She remarks that it is beautifully written, and every word of it true, but she points out one objection. She says, what I have done so far isn't in the least what I was wanted to do. I am asked to tell the story of the diamond, and instead of that, I have been telling the story of my own life. Curious, and quite beyond me to account for, I wonder whether the gentlemen who make a business and a living out of writing-books ever find their own selves getting in the way of their subjects, like me. If they do, I can feel for them. In the meantime, here is another false start, and more waste of good writing-paper. Ah, oh, what's to be done now? Nothing that I know of, except for you to keep your temper, and for me to begin it all over again for the third time. End of chapter 3